I have long wanted to write a book called God's Body Parts. If we examine the Bible carefully, we find that evidence of God having feet, hands, a mouth, a back, and even a face. Our ancestors clearly applied human characteristics to God. The question is, did they believe that God had a human form? We'll explore this question on today's edition of Torah for Christians. I'm Rabbi Jordan Parra. Welcome to Torah for Christians. I'm Rabbi Jordan Parr. One of the enduring questions of any religion, especially Judaism, is the nature of God. In modern thought, God is incorporeal, without form, shape, or body. Unlike Christianity, which predicates itself on a father and his embodied son, there are no familial relationships. But this is, as I said, a modern perspective. I've always wondered if our modern view of the incorporeal deity influences our perspective regarding how our ancestors viewed God. Do they think as we do? Or was their view of deity an anthropomorphic one, where God takes a human form? I believe it was the latter. God has a body. If so, when did a corporeal God become an incorporeal God? Let's go to the text. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, Adam and Eve, now fully self-aware after eating the forbidden fruit, heard, quote, the voice of God walking to and fro in the garden. God then called to the couple who was hiding in the bushes and cried, where are you? In these two verses, we learn that God has a voice and can walk. God has legs, vocal cords, a neck, a tongue, and a mouth. Adam hears God talking. He and God had quite an intense conversation, leading to the couple's banishment from the Garden of Eden. God must have ears if God listened to Adam. In Daniel chapter 5, verse 5, we read of the famous writing on the wall. While the story deserves its own analysis, we learn that a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster. This hand appeared out of nowhere and was not attached to, the bo to a body. It was as if an invisible man stood there and allowed only his hand to show as he wrote on the wall. This is presumed to be a divine hand. So now we have a throat, a head, feet, and a hand. What else can we find? Let's look at Exodus chapter 33, verse 11. In the golden calf story, God would speak to Moses, quote, face to face as one person speaks to another, unquote. Now God has a face. This idea of God speaking to Moses' face is repeated at the very end of Deuteronomy when we read of Moses' death. Later in the same story, in Exodus 33:18, Moses begs to see God's kavod, God's glory. But in verse 20, God says that Moses cannot see God's face and live. Instead, God places Moses in a cleft of the rock and then in verse 23, Moses is able to see God's back. So while there is a contradiction about whether we can see God's face, clearly God has a face and a back. Head, neck, face, throat, vocal cords, hand, feet, back. Now we're getting close to a full human being. 
In the first chapters of Leviticus, we learn that we offer sacrifice to lift up a reichoach nichoach, a pleasing aroma before God. Can God smell these aromas? That may be unclear to us, but perhaps the Israelites believe that God could smell, which means that God also has a nose. But the best example of anthropomorphism, my favorite, is found in Exodus 24. In this passage, God commands Moses to ascend Mount Sinai along with Aaron, Aaron's sons, and 70 elders of Israel. Jumping to verse 10, we read that they, quote, saw the God of Israel, under whose feet was the likeness of a pavement of sapphire. Yet God did not raise a hand. They beheld God, and they ate and drank, unquote. Here, God has legs and feet. The Israelites behold God sitting on a divine throne. And to make matters even crazier, they had a nosh. There are many more examples of anthropomorphism in the Bible. We just don't have time to explore them. Isaiah chapter 6, his vision of God sitting on the throne in front of a fireplace. And Psalm 29, singing of the glory, power, and majesty of God's voice come to mind. It's clear that the Israelites believed in a corporeal God. Their rabbinic descendants might have believed the same way. Let's look at the idea of God's fingers, as described by Rabbi Meir Bar-Ilan in his work, The Hand of God, a chapter in rabbinic anthropomorphism. He quotes a third century scholar, Rav, who wrote, when the Holy One wished to create man, God first created a company of ministering angels and said to them, Is it your desire that we make a man in our image? They answered, Sovereign of the universe, what will be his deeds? Such and such will be his deeds, God replied. Thereupon they exclaimed, Sovereign of the universe, quote, What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou dost care for him? From Psalm 8, verse 4. Thereupon God stretched out the divine little finger among them and consumed them with fire. The first man reached from one end of the world to the other. But when he sinned, the Holy One laid God's hand upon him and diminished him, as it is written in Psalm 139, verse 5, Thou dost beset me behind and before and layest thy hand upon me. This passage is found in the Talmudic tractate Sanhedrin 36b. Through this midrash, we learn God's fingers exist, and second, they have power over humans. Note that there is a lot of mysticism associated with this midrash as well. Kabbalah continued to dive into the idea of God as a physical being long after other Jews abandoned this concept. After the break, we'll talk about how and why Jews moved away from anthropomorphism, and began to believe in an incorporeal God. I'm Rabbi Jordan Parr, and this is Torah for Christians. Welcome back to Torah for Christians. I'm Rabbi Jordan Parr. If you are enjoying this podcast, I encourage you to go to our website, www.torforchristians.net, where you can find previous episodes which cover a variety of topics. You can also access them on various podcast websites 
such as iTunes, Spotify, and Google. Also, please subscribe to my Substack column, Bible Stories They Never Taught You in Religious School, a commentary on the weekly Torah portion that I publish every Friday morning. You can subscribe to this blog either on Substack or through our website. So how and why did Jews come to embrace an incorporeal God? For the answer, we must look to Moses Maimonides, the great Spanish Jewish philosopher who completely reconceptualized Judaism for his day and ours. Born in Cordoba, Spain, Maimonides moved to Fez, Morocco, and later to Cairo, where he became the physician to the caliph, the Muslim ruler in Cairo. During his lifetime, he wrote a commentary on the Mishnah, a compendium of laws distilled from the Bible and Talmud called the Mishnah Torah, and a great philosophical work, the More Nevuchim, the Guide to the Perplexed, which definitely is the most perplexing book ever written about God and Jewish thought. Maimonides redefined biblical anthropomorphism as an attempt by the ancients to personify God because they knew that the masses were incapable of understanding the true nature of the deity. To this end, he furnished us with a lexicon of biblical terminology in the moray. A few examples will suffice to explain his thinking. In the guide, part one, verse 10, Maimonides expounds upon the terms Allah and Yarad. Allah means to go up, like the word Aliyah, to go up to Jerusalem, or today to immigrate to Israel. Yarad means to go down, like the word Yardain, the Jordan River, which descends as it meanders towards the Dead Sea. Maimonides writes, These two words are also applied to intellectual processes. Namely, when we reflect on something beneath ourselves, we are said to go down. And when our attention is raised to a subject above us, we are said to rise. So far, so good. But then he writes, Now we occupy a lowly position, both in space and rank in comparison with the heavenly sphere, and the Almighty is most high, not in space, but with respect to absolute existence, greatness, and power. When it pleased the Almighty to grant to a human being a certain degree of wisdom or prophetic inspiration, the divine communication thus made to the prophet and the entrance of the divine presence into a certain place is termed Yerida, descending, while the termination of the prophetic communication or the departure of divine glory from a place is called Aliyah, ascending. Now these words take on new meanings. When God wishes to impart revelation, God descends, such as when God descended upon Mount Sinai. Moses ascended to receive God's word, but neither Moses nor us can ascend to God's level because God is not a body. God is an intellectual concept. And so comprehending God in human form is to Maimonides impossible. After God descended to impart revelation, God then went back up to the divine spheres and is an intellectual pursuit. Maimonides, we see, completely rejected anthropomorphism. Heavily influenced by the recently rediscovered Aristotle, he believed that biblical words that describe God's physicality actually refer to God as an intellectual concept. To know God, Maimonides wrote, one had to develop his or her intellect. 
Then and only then could a person truly comprehend and commune with God. This idea was best expressed in his 13 Articles of Faith, a catechism for Jews, where he stated that one, God exists, two, God is an absolute unity, and three, God is incorporeal. To betrust this thought, he writes elsewhere that anyone who believes that God has a body is a heretic. It took time for the Jewish world to embrace Maimonides' rigid anti-anthropomorphism. Opposition to Maimonides continued even until the 19th century. Samuel David Luzzato, a great scholar of his day, defended the idea that God has a body, claiming that an embodied God was the only God conceivable to most people. Even Maimonides seemed to believe that the idea that God had a body was comforting to the masses, but not the truth for the enlightened. We cannot underestimate Maimonides' influence. Before Maimonides, anthropomorphism was a common Jewish view of God. After him, God became an incorporeal concept. While not all Jews followed Maimonides, enough did and changed Jewish thought forever. Some Jews, especially Kabbalists and some Hasidim, still hold that God has a body, and they may be correct. But if we ask the Jew in the pew what God, he or she will probably laugh at us and say that God has no body. The famous statement that God is an old white man with a long white beard is an idea for children who think concretely, but for adults, it's an incomplete or even an inaccurate statement. But maybe, just maybe, there is truth in that statement. While God may not be male, may not be bearded, and may not be white, God may have bodily form, and that may just be beyond our ability to comprehend. I want to thank you for listening to Torah for Christians. Please like and review this and all my podcasts on our website, www.torforchristians.net, or on iTunes. You can also subscribe to my Substack column, Bible Stories I Never Taught You in Religious School, on the website or directly on Substack. Next week, we will discuss and talk about something a little bit lighter in tone, the Jewish holiday of Purim. It's going to be a lot of fun. Again, thank you for listening to Torah for Christians. I'm Rabbi Jordan Parr, and I wish you a wonderful week. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for us to live together as one. Till we meet again. I'm Rabbi Jordan Parr, and this has been Torah for Christians.